welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. This is a sample of our recent bonus episode, usually only available to members. These episodes are comprised of our crew of researchers, Amanda and myself, all getting together for a roundtable discussion on topics that we find interesting. So here's a few minutes for free so you can know what all the fuss is about. Dion, your comments about how how easy it is for people to take both sides of like, uh, I'm going to make arguments that capitalism is good. And it's also really easy to debunk those arguments. It's just reminding me that I, I, I can't remember what I've said on the show yet. I, I would love to make this into an episode, but I don't know how. So I'll just say my theory, which came from a documentary I watched about European football and the the European clubs. I feel like we we touched on this in a bonus show a while back, but they they talked about how these clubs just started in these little towns and they were just loved by the community and they just sort of like went along. This is like 100, 120 years ago, whatever. And so they just sort of went along and were just like these little communal things. And then capitalism got involved and they got better. Like it was actually good for the town it was good for the people the club could become even more central to community life and people could make a living from being part of the club that they loved so much and those are good things and then more time went by and i mean there there i guess details you could uh you get into in the middle but like fast forward all the way to today and capitalism is like completely eating the game and those communities from the inside and it's like threatening to destroy the game that people love so much. And it's like an intergenerational, uh, you know, bonding experience for people to be attached to their home teams. And like specifically, I think what I was watching was the, the threat of the super league. They, they had the idea to take these local teams that were part of their national and European wide leagues and create like, a league apart where they're like, we're so big, we're so rich, we're so powerful that we should just break away and have our own league where that it's like to- like a spaceship lifting up off the ground and separating itself from the communities they were attached to. And so it's like they've outgrown their communities. You know, these teams are like cities in and of themselves. And what that finally made click in my mind is that capitalism isn't either good or bad. It is a process that happens over time and it can do good things, but that's usually in the earlier years and it can also do bad things. And that tends to be towards the end of the cycle when it starts to corrupt and corrode what it used to help make better. And so I, you know, when, when people, make these arguments about how capitalism is good. It's like um, they are just pointing to a different part of the cycle. And when we say it's bad, we're also just pointing to a different part of the cycle. And because I just made this up, I don't know if it's a great analogy, but it's like, you know, humans commit murder. But if you wanted to argue that like, not really, you could look at babies 
because babies hardly ever commit murder. You're like, what are you talking about? Humans commit murder. Look, look, look at all these babies. They're they're not committing any murders at all, basically. And if they did, is is almost certainly an accident. hundred percent murder free babies. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like, see, like, are babies not people? Babies aren't committing murder. There's my argument. Like, look how good people are at not murdering other people. It's like, all right, but babies well, don't stay babies. Capitalism doesn't stay nascent. It doesn't stay in the beginning stage right. when it's like helping a little community boost its, uh, you know, quality of life. It yeah. grows. Like, this is why we call it cancer, because it grows and grows and grows and never stops. Yeah. For and those I, less cosmopolitan uh, listeners, you're also describing college football. Like, <laughs> sure. It is exactly <laughs> the same dynamic at play. Yeah. Well, and I think your point, like capitalism, it's not like we've put a marker and once we get there, that's the end of it. Like it continues to have to grow and, you know, not to go back to Iceland, but I'm going to. Um, They have beautiful land that they've cultivated that they're able to live on, but now tourism is setting in. So they have all of these wedding tours that are going and it's a big destination, which is great for the people because, you know, they are able to build, they're able to grow able to get a decent living and continue in that way. But eventually it's going to erode the environment. It's going to have those negative effects. It already is, but yeah, we'll pretend also, like it's still Hawaii <laughs> for that one. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it, it's going to be very similar. I can't imagine that it's so such a tourist destination yeah. um, right now. In fact, actually I did read that Iceland is trying, is looking to Hawaii to see like, to look for examples of how they can control this because Hawaii started to take some steps to do things. And Iceland is like looking for solutions because they recognize that things are shifting. I just wanted to read this piece of the articles. I think it synthesizes everything we talked, we're talking around this, but what, you know, a lot of what this comes down to is capitalism at this stage is driving unbelievable privatization of things that were not privatized before. And that's a lot of what is driving this. And so the article says, during these times, the powerful, and when they say these times, they were talking about a number of different periods in history. During these times, the powerful and wealthy were privatizing fields, ponds, and forests previously held as commons, evicting villagers from the natural resources that had sustained them for centuries. Close-knit communities with relatively self-sufficient economies disintegrated, leaving the newly dispossessed wage work as the only option for survival. This disruption of rural society caused bitter conflicts between the emerging classes of haves and have-nots that in places manifested as witch hunts. So that was kind of the the driving forces is that hyper privatization. Nothing is just for everyone. Nothing is public for the community. We don't share things anymore. There is, it's from August 31st, common dreams. Biden infrastructure report pushes disastrous water privatization schemes. Watchdog Mm -hmm. says an under the radar report by us president, Joe Biden's national infrastructure advisory council should not go unnoticed said the National Watchdog Food and Water Watch on Thursday, as buried in the document is a call for the privatization of U.S. water systems, which progressive lawmakers and civil society groups have long opposed. It's happening here still. It's picking up pace. And water has long been on on the chopping Mm -hmm. block for privatization. But, Mm -hmm. like, I I wanted to give credit in the last episode we did, the, the labor episode that is out probably now, to Biden, but I also didn't want to go too far because I had read that 
while working on that, like he's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's out on the picket line, which is an amazing thing for a president to do. But also, simultaneously, his administration is calling for the privatization of water in America. Shall we move to our next fantasy world, Dion? We read in Slate about uh, sort of what it is to be a consumer of culture in our current uh, day and age. Well, first, I would like to say to everyone listening to this, thank you for being a member of the the podcast, because without your support, this wouldn't survive. (laughs) And on that note, um, you have to pay for everything you like. And if you don't, billionaires will kill it. Like that's, that's basically the gist of the article. And, you know, maybe, maybe is not any different than anything has ever been. And I think a couple times in the article, it makes the point that for artists, there never has really been a good time to make yeah. a lot of money doing art. And I don't, and it also, you know, isn't just limited to art. I was thinking while reading this article, Jay and I talked offline about, uh, I've been playing FIFA recently. I hadn't played FIFA in a long time. And, kind of dovetailing into what he was talking about with the, the increase in corporate ownership of teams. I was playing as parents, Paris St. Germain and did not realize that their Jersey says in bigger words, Qatar airlines than it does Paris St. Germain, which is <laughs> it's, it's completely owned by another entity, which is, you know, a different aspect of this, but you can buy that jersey and you can participate as a member of the team, as a fandom, kind of the same way that you can cosplay as your favorite character. And the article kind of it talks about the strike and how there is this, there was this initial issue about are you scabbing if you are still doing cosplay because you're promoting the whatever entity, the Harry Potter, Batman, whatever, whatever it is you're into. And are, are you working for them? If you're not getting paid, is, is there, is there some line that is being crossed? It says what's unusual about this particular thing is how, permeable these categories are as regular consumers blend to professional fans and from there into laboring creatives it makes it hard to distinguish between capital w workers from those who merely create value with their unpaid labor if it's all just content for capital then aren't we all just content producers together so when you're wearing your you know your costume or when you're just wearing your t-shirt or when you're just online arguing about all this stuff you're doing labor for usually Disney because Disney owns all of this now, <laughs> but that blending or the, the crossing of the line between who's an entertainer and who is just watching or consuming the entertainment has, has been completely destroyed. So now we're all in it together to keep all this stuff alive. And you, you could see it with like, the Justice League a few years ago, there was this, you know, the the movie came out. It was a dud. 
it was clearly cut up and chopped up and like it had multiple directors and it had multiple visions. And there's this online push of all this, the Zack Snyder fans to push for the original, the Snyder cut. And it pushed so hard that it made it happen. So fans are driving entertainment, but they're also needed for like, it's just this weird, I wouldn't say symbiotic, maybe parasitic relationship. (laughs) And a lot of that comes down to this new, like my, I think I said it in the last podcast, actually my least favorite word that exists right now is content. (laughs) Let me, let me me try to find the quote. Perhaps something fundamental about cultural labor changed the moment we agreed to call it the production of quote unquote content. The term doesn't just deprofessionalize the creation of art and culture by implying that it's all just more chum to feed customers too hungry to say no. It privileges the contain over what it's filled with, whether that is a platform or subscribe to a brand we know and love, a franchise we faithfully follow. It's all just content. Then Disney can, for example, trim trim its CGI budgets and dump an absolute smorgasbord of Marvel Cinematic Universe branded content on the market without fear of diluting the quality or losing customers because it's all just the same sludge. That's me, not them saying that. (laughs) (laughs) If the brand is what matters... A signal to customers yeah. to buy like zombies, then why waste money on making that content good? And that's where we are. A lot of the like the entertainment channels I watch on YouTube that talk about this stuff are they've they've been concerned for a while that you know we're getting it's sequel after sequel, it's reboot after reboot, it's the same stuff, and the onus isn't on the studios to produce better things. It's on the customer to stop going. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's always been the case. Like, you know, like that's basic capitalism, right? You know, supply and demand in theory, there is still a demand, I guess, but there's also not other stuff. So if you're a fan of these things, these, you know, these things you hold dear. Yeah. You'll, you'll take what you can get. Okay. It's finally clicked for me. I finally (laughs) understand what this article is about. (laughs) So I like, as I read that more than once, I just kept thinking like, right, but don't they still have the motivation to make things better? Cause people like things that are better as opposed to things that are worse, but I was missing the, the other layers of the dynamics at play. Ultimately the preference would be to lower people's expectations so that they don't demand that things be better because then you can make things for cheaper and have them not be as good. And the consolidation of these media entities is what allows them to just shoulder out any competition that might come in from the outside. Yeah. And so then once you dominate the channels and, you know, I mean, we had this like short lived and messy and complicated uh, transition from cable to the cable cutting streaming services and it seems like there's tons of streaming services but they're all going to start consolidating because none of them are profitable so they have to consolidate with each other and you know have disney end up buying all of them and that is yeah that is how they're going to go back to happily making uh shit and with ads 
(laughs) Yeah, of course, they're all transitioning to having ads, which written by AI. I I totally get. I mean, I I know why they're doing it. It makes makes sense. I mean, years ago, I I feel like we read some article about how (laughs) it was sort of arguing that television had perfected itself in the 90s. And was like, this is how you make entertaining television. And this is how you pack it full of ads. And that's how you make a profitable entertainment system. And we've gone through this messy transition to only come out on the other side where we're going to end up doing the exact same thing with a few companies making a few sort of mediocre shows. Maybe a couple will be actually good and they'll be full of ads. And that's how they'll make money. Mm -hmm. Uh, The quote that stood out to me was, and this is just basically summarizing what we're saying, on some level, I think we often expect capitalists to behave the way the econ- an economic textbook suggests they will. Make a good product, sell it to a lot of people, invest the profits back into the business, rinse and repeat. But there's no evidence that this is how the people who own the cultural industries think about anything. If you wanted to make good movies, a way to do that would be to pay good people to make them well. That's not what they do. But why would you want to make good movies if you're the only game in town? There we go. There it is. And that's, that was the, the, the finisher quote for me, because mm-hmm. that's what this is ultimately. Again, this is another capitalism story. Like when you, like we were talking about the capitalism is good. The theory that we're told, like in basic econ 101, supply and demand, all that stuff, it creates competition and got, has businesses competing to make better things at l- lower prices. That's fine. That's one stage of it. That's usually a part of it, but it also in stage is pushing towards monopoly. They're competing to own each other. They're not competing to create better products. That's it for today's free sample. There's lots more of that particular episode, as well as there being dozens of past bonus episodes that you get access to in your feed the minute you sign up as a new member. Pain members are who make this entire show possible, and so these bonus episodes are a fun way to say thanks to them for their support. In addition to those full bonus episodes, members also get bonus clips in every single regular episode, as well as there being no ads in the regular show. If you would like to be our newest member, you can sign up at bestoftheleft.com slash support. You can use our Patreon page, or you can do it from right inside the Apple Podcast app, and links to get there are right in our show notes. And if you can't afford membership, I offer free financial hardship memberships. Just drop me an email to j at bestoftheleft.com, and we will get you set up, no questions asked. Or, again, to sign up and support the show and our ability to give away free financial hardship memberships, visit us at bestofleft.com support. Thanks for listening.